Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. And we're into extra time. Hello and welcome to Extra Time. I'm Rory Newsom. The Super Rugby Final has finally arrived. Seven months after the competition kicked off, the Crusaders will step into the cauldron of Ellis Park in Johannesburg on Sunday morning to play the Lions. They're hoping to become the first team to win the title after crossing the Indian Ocean. It's a big ask to tip over an informed Lions team on the high veld, particularly a team that's won 14 home games on the trot. I asked Barry Guy whether a seemingly unstoppable Crusaders side will actually be able to secure their eighth title, one that up until a few weeks ago seemed to be theirs for the taking. Well, I've always thought, well, definitely the the second half of the season, that the Crusaders were the team to beat. And I suppose when the Lions grabbed that home field advantage, I then just got a little bit of a, you know twinge in the head thinking, um, well, it might not be as easy as I thought. The Crusaders last weekend against the uh, Chiefs, they were again, they were impressive. They sort of carried on from what the uh, the game against the Highlanders in the quarterfinals, and they con- controlled the game well, but they defended really well against the Chiefs, who, you know, for long periods threw all sorts of things at them, and they managed to to hold them out, sort of all-black style almost, the way that they defended. And so I was really impressed with the with the Crusaders in that semi-final. Um, and I thought, yeah, yeah, they've, they've still got a really good chance to, um, you know, to, to go through to the final and do well. Yeah, but we're talking about going to South Africa here. Now, no team has uh, gone to South Africa and won. Uh, in fact, I think five South African teams or, or teams have travelled from South Africa to uh, Australia and New Zealand. Nobody's ever picked up a title. So that's a big call. Yeah, um, I do think back to the when the Chiefs won through to the final and they went and played the Bulls and they got an absolute hiding over there. And it is tough. You know, the teams, they always talk about how, oh, no, we've sort of got the, uh, the, uh, what, the, the study of how you travel and you go to the veldt and, you know, we've done it so many times now. It's not an issue. But I think that's, st- that's still a bit of talk, really, isn't it? Well, you look at the Hurricanes, and it looked like the Hurricanes basically ran out of puff last week, didn't it? And the they, Lions team, they were, we, we all expected they were going to walk over them. Bang. They lose it in the second half. Yeah, it... Um, it, it was a game of two halves, wasn't it? You know, one side was making errors in the first half and then it sort of reversed. And I do think playing at Alice Park is is something special and the home side really got up and the, the crowd got behind them. And the Hurricanes, you know, they'd shown weaknesses through the season, the Hurricanes, and I think they got exposed a little bit in that, that semi-final also. But the Lions, Rory, we... We don't really know much about them, do we? Uh, who are they? Who are they? We, we've spent this whole Super 12 season thinking that South African teams, uh, Australian teams, don't even need to count them in the, in the competition because uh, we're just going to roll them. And now, as a result, we're probably our own worst enemies. I, I think uh, the, the, the halfback from the Lions, I saw it hit a good, strong game. Uh, but apart from that, I can hardly recognise a name. Is that going to play to to their strengths uh, in that they, they come and hit us from where we don't think they're coming from? Well, the Lions, of course, got beaten by the Hurricanes in the final last year, 
And I think a team, because of course the Hurricanes lost to the Highlanders the year before and then went on to win, a team learns a lot by perhaps losing in a final, do you think? And they've come out and they've, got, they've, they've decided, what do we have to do this year to go one step better? And perhaps the Lions have done that very well this year. And, you know, there was all that talk about how they haven't played New Zealand sides, but I don't really think that's, that's, that's an issue at all. They're just confident in themselves, and they'll be extra confident now playing at home. And they've got a tame referee. Yako Piper, hey, they got a South African put on the whistle. So, well, I, th- I, I just about back those lines at the moment. Yako Piper, he was the best of the referees in the Lions series, although he was only up against a couple of Frenchmen. But I can see, I don't have a problem with him refereeing the final. Uh, I, he is probably one of the best around. But um, again, I think. He will have controlled a lot of South African games. He's probably controlled a lot of Lions games. The Lions probably know him a lot better than the Crusaders do, and they can probably respond to him and the way he officiates the game. So I'm with you. I think the Lions are possibly favourites for this final, although I'll never support a... You know, I'll always support a New Zealand team when it comes to the final. <laughs> and there will be, what, 60,000 screaming South African fans, those Lions, when they fill up Ellis Park like that. They make a lot of noise, uh, and and particularly after we've seen uh, the Crusaders playing, you know, again, uh, half full houses at home. It's a big difference, quite a difference, and it's a cauldron they're going into. That's right. It's going to remind me of all those games in the 70s, you know, when the All Blacks would go there and... And you know, was... you're up against a lot of people when the All Blacks uh, go there. And I immediately now think, if the Lions win this, the Springboks, are they going to be a completely different team? In the... We won't get on to that. We'll talk about that next <laughs> week. But, you know, that's going to be a boost for South African rugby, isn't it? It's just such a turnaround. I can't get over how we went through this whole season. Crusaders winning every game they were going up against. Uh, they looked like they were virtually going to walk in where someone was going to have to go down to, uh, go down to Christchurch and pick up that that title and try and take it off them because they virtually had it and now they seem like they're going over there as underdogs yeah if it was in Christchurch they'd be favourites I mean I'm not giving the winner many points in this but I think the Lions just by a couple Barry Guy reluctantly picking the Lions in the Super Rugby Final The New Zealand women's rugby side are on their way to Ireland in pursuit of a fifth Rugby World Cup and to make amends for their nightmare 2014 tournament. A loss in June in Rotorua to the tournament's favourites England has hardened the team's resolve, and they feel it's their time to take the cup back. Joanna McKenzie was at the side's final training run in Auckland and spoke to loose forward Linda Aitunu, who will be playing in her fourth World Cup. That's one thing that the Black Ferns have um, that's unique compared to other teams, is that we have this culture that... um, you know, we're, we're real close off-field, and that's what brings out performances on-field. So I, I think that's the main thing. And obviously, not everyone has to get along, but, um, you know, we have to be respectful to each other, and that's, a biggest, that's a big thing in our team. Yeah. And there's, you know, there's quite a lot of, um, although there's a lot of experience, there's a lot of young, yeah. Yeah. Um, young women going off on this um, amazing adventure. Yeah. And have, have you been able to provide, you know, given that you've been to so many World Cups before, yeah. provide a bit of sort of advice for them? Yeah, yeah definitely. I think um, we're, we're there to kind of give them advice, but we need to let them just have a feel for it first. I, I give them kind of a kind of 
like maybe a week or a day or, a day or two leeway, and then after I knuckle down on a few ha- bad habits. But apart from that, um, the the senior players are real helpful and they're welcoming, and um, we we like the new blood. I think it's good for the game, and it's um, it's just good to see more women and more young women playing rugby, which is a bonus year. And then, I mean, coming off the the, the loss in June to yeah, England. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> oh, don't go there. <laughs> um, uh, how have you guys just picked yourself up and you know got back to training? And what mm. what were the lessons that you learnt from that match? I think the lessons that we learnt from that match is that um, we got to do our homework, and um, we didn't underestimate England at all. I think we just got outplayed in us walking away we kind of thought okay what could what could we have done personally in our own roles to contribute to the performance in itself and uh, we've gone away we've done our homework and we've worked on those areas so I think going into this World Cup you'll see a different team than what you saw in those June series. You've got your sister playing in the squad too which just oh my gosh your family (laughs) just must be bursting. Yeah Um, yeah, definitely my it's that's probably my highlight of this yeah the the World Cup, like, I'm not going to take away the how big it is, um, but it's even more special having my younger sister there. Uh, I would admit she's a lot more talented than me. I probably have the, I have to work hard for uh, what I have, but um, yeah, it'll be exciting to get to run out there and hopefully bring the cup home with her. Blackfern, Linda Aitunu speaking to RNZ's Joanna McKenzie. Their first game is against Wales and Dublin next week on Thursday morning. The world's fastest man, Usain Bolt, is getting ready to slow down. The Jamaican superstar is set to retire after competing at the World Champs, which get underway in London on Saturday. He's chasing titles in the 100 metres and the 4 by 100 metre relay, preferring not to defend his 200 metre world record. Sports editor Stephen Hewson looks back on the career of an athlete many rate alongside boxing legend Muhammad Ali. And here comes the great man, Hussein Bolt, charging down the straight as best they can. The other men are trying to follow it. Bolt wins, and Bolt has smashed his own world record. Hussein Bolt has won eight Olympic gold medals and 11 world titles, but says his proudest moment was winning the world junior title on home soil in Jamaica as a 15-year-old. While his most satisfying effort was his 200-metre world record run at the 2008 Beijing Olympics. His goal in London is to sign off with a fourth 100-metre title and a fifth 4x100-metre relay gold and then head off to play football with his friends and have fun. I think it's time for me to slow down a little bit, you know what I mean? Um, after I retire, I just want to take it slow and relax a little bit. I think I've just done so much already and uh, I feel accomplished. The head of athletics, international governing body and the former Olympic champion, Lord Sebastian Coe, says Bolt has had as big an impact on athletics as Muhammad Ali did on boxing. What we're going to miss is not the possible improbability within the foreseeable future of somebody winning three Olympic Games back-to-back or breaking a clutch of world records. It's the personality. And we do want athletes with personalities. A lack of confidence has never been a problem for Bolt, and he knows how he wants to be remembered. I just want to be one of the greats. I mean, one of the greatest. Uh, when conversation being had about greatest sports star, I want to be a part of that. I want people to say, yeah, you say Bolt was one of the greatest sports stars to have ever done any sports. Bolt's father, Wellesley, has just one hope for this weekend. I just hope he, do, he does well there. Because if he lost, then it will be heartbroken for me. 
As he leaves the sport, though, Usain Bolt warns the scourge of drugs could ultimately spell the end of athletics. If they keep this up, the sports will die, and then they won't have a job. So hopefully, uh, at least understand that, and they will help the sports to move forward. A 12-strong New Zealand team will compete at the World Champs in London, headed by Rio Olympic medalists pole vaulter Eliza McCartney, runner Nick Willis, and shot putter Tom Walsh. Also on the team is sprinter Joseph Miller, who competed against Usain Bolt earlier this year in Australia, and he's hopeful of getting the chance to race him again. Watching him as I grew up, I always thought it would be great to turn up to a world champs, and even if just in the heat, I'd be able to get the lane next to him. That would be a pretty cool thing to have happen, and I guess part of me still thinks that that would be pretty cool. Even though he's about to hang up his spikes, the 30-year-old Bolt says he'll still be involved in athletics in some kind of ambassadorial role in the future. But with track and field having been his life since he was 10, Bolt is already looking forward to next year's World Champs when he'll simply be a spectator. For Extra Time, Stephen Hewson. Auckland pole vaulter Eliza McCartney will line up on the first day of the World Champs in London, having just recovered from an Achilles injury. The Rio bronze medalist says having to accommodate the setback into her build-up hasn't been ideal, but there have been some upsides. It does just mean we need to adapt training a bit. So there wasn't less training, there was just, yeah, different types of training. So um, I think it was almost a month I didn't run or vault, um, which can be a bit tricky, but there's lots of other things that we can do and other areas that I can focus on that I might not have really paid much attention to before. So um, it's good and bad. Um, I'm definitely stronger than I have been. Um, I've got a PB and bench press lately. So there's other areas that have been um, strengthening, so it's not all bad. So, so what are you bench pressing now? <laughs> that was 75 kgs. <laughs> because since Rio, you, you talked about technique was going to be a big part of, of what you were concentrating on, wasn't it? Yeah, um, that was definitely what we looked at for Rio. And um, actually, it was actually funny. I only just realised last week we were watching videos and I realised that actually my technique has come a long way now. <laughs> it's something I'm almost proud of now that my technique is looking really good. Um, but in saying that, there's always areas that you can improve on. There's definitely areas that I need to keep working on. Um, so I don't think, I don't think it's ever going to end. Um, it's always going to be quite a big thing um, that you can almost rely on. There's going to be aspects that you can keep working on. And, I mean, this is going to be your first senior world champs, isn't it? Which which possibly seems a little bit odd, given, you know, the <laughs> the profile and everything you, you've, you've had in the last 12 to 18 months. I'm always doing it backwards. I mean, I haven't been to a Commonwealth Games next year either, so it's... It's still almost like um, there's new experiences all over the place, and just because this is my first world champs, I mean it's my only, it's only my third um, senior competition as well, competing against the top international women. So it's um, it's a funny place to be in, but it's good because it's, it, there's not much pressure really. I'm still I'm still learning. I'm still young, and I've still got um, a lot I can keep picking up and yeah, learning from these competitions. It still does feel that way that the pressure's not there so much. I mean, the the bronze medal in Rio hasn't, I suppose, uh, put you on people's radar, or, or, or you're, at least you still feel as though you're the newbie around the place. I do a little bit. I mean, maybe not so much a newbie in terms of um, against the other vaulters. I think they, they know me now, which is really nice, it's, and it's nice to keep competing against them because they're a lovely bunch of girls. But um, I guess in my own head, I still think of it as still being quite, quite new just because they're new experiences and um, things that I haven't had to deal with yet. So there's still, um, in my head, I think there's not so much pressure because I'm just going into it pretty open-minded.
Now, you mentioned there that how you get on with the other vaulters. I mean, how much is there much talking that goes on while things are out there, or is everyone very much in their own space? Well, everybody's quite different, I suppose, in how they deal with competition and um, whether they want to be chatty and talk to the other voters or whether it's better for them to be um, separated from all of that. So it, it depends a lot. But I'm the type of person who would rather be a bit chattier and get to know the people around me. And there's a few others like that. So it, it kind of depends who's competing. But I'm I'm happy to encourage the other voters. And, um, I mean, especially if they do a big jump, that's huge. I'm, I'm not going to just ignore it. So just little things like that, I guess, where it is. Uh, maybe a bit more friendlier than it looks. So there's not too much trash talking going on out in the in the middle of the arena. No, <laughs> not that I'm aware of anyway. <laughs> Eliza McCartney sharing a laugh with Stephen Hewson. Timaru shot putter Tom Walsh is also getting ready to take on the world's best. The Olympic bronze medalist recorded his best throw of the year, 22.06 metres, in Bedford last week. And he told Stephen he thinks he's peaking at just the right time. We're coming to the point of the season and. And I'm starting to throw further and further with every competition. So, uh, you know, that's, that's all a man can ask. Uh, I feel like there's definitely a lot more left in the tank, that's for sure. So. I mean, I know last year after Rio, you sort of felt you'd possibly, well, two weeks after Rio, you felt as though you were possibly at your best for, for 2016, yeah. didn't you? What, how do you go about, I suppose, changing it and, and getting it right so you, you time things properly? I was definitely at my best in Rio. I just didn't throw my best, if that makes sense. I just didn't quite line up in the day. Um, and what happened afterwards was I had a few more competitions and trainings with, with uh, I guess, the, the explosion and the, the pace um, that I wasn't familiar with in Rio. Uh, and that's why I produced those good throws um, later on. So what we did this year was we moved everything two weeks to the fourth, and we decided to have more um, warm-up comps um, before the big day to try to get more and more used to the, the speed and the power that I would have uh, at the major champs. Are you you're the kind of thrower, the more competition you get, the better, do you think? Is that sort of the approach that seems to work for you? Generally, yep. yep that's for sure. That's, that's generally what happens. Um, especially, uh, you've you got to feel comfortable with this new power and the, the new speed that you have. So, um, it's just like, I guess it's like a footy game, you know, the first two games when you're playing footy is, is terrible, you know, your lungs are burning and, and so forth, but, uh, you know, that third game is when you really come to your stride and that's a lot like me. Um, you know, I like, I, I need one or two comps to, it's not only the physical side of things, it's also the mental side of things in terms of, you know, going through my routines and, and making sure that they're right and at the right time and so forth. Getting a feel for the stadium too can be pretty important, can't it? I mean, how much competition you've had in this London stadium? Um, yeah, look, it's pretty cool to be uh, competing in the Olympic Stadium. Um, I was lucky enough to throw in it last year uh, before before Rio as Diamond League, um, and, and that was a pretty special and pretty cool experience there. Um, so, but I'm sure that the world champs will blow that out of the water altogether. I mean, there's a, a lot of talk, obviously, about sort of Ryan Krauser and his sort of 10-meet winning winning run. If I'm right, you're the last person to have beaten him? Yes, I am, and I, I don't let him forget that either. So, uh, <laughs> no, look, I think uh, I think it will take something special to beat him. Um, I believe that there's more than just one guy who can do it. Um, and, uh, you know, because of that, I feel like the shop is going to be one hell of a show. I just feel like... Um, 
probably earlier this year I was chasing him a little bit, trying to beat him, um, rather than staying to my own game. And 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 I figured out that I feel, I feel like he's just another year ahead of me in terms of development, um, and that's fine. And I've just come to grips with that. But that doesn't mean that um, with my big throw can be as, as far. It doesn't mean it can't be as big as his, my big throw. Um, it may, may mean the consistency is not quite there, but I believe that I've got the firepower that's needed to, to throw just as far as he can. Former cricketer Dion Nash has fondly remembered Sir John Graham as a manager who took a bunch of renegade no-hopers and made a cricket team out of them. Sir John died earlier this week after a long illness aged 82, as well as being an all-black, a headmaster of Auckland Grammar School and president of the New Zealand Rugby Union. He also managed the Black Caps in the late 90s. Nash says Sir John, or DJ as he was known, approached a difficult team with understanding and patience. DJ was obviously a, a huge influence both as a headmaster but then later and probably in, in greater, a greater influence as a manager when, when I really got to know him as the a, as a manager of the New Zealand cricket team. And then I think later we all, that whole group, I'm not alone in saying, you know, really we've, he became a, not only a mentor but a really a friend in the end. And, um, you know, huge, huge, huge loss and um, for so many. Um, but uh, just a great, a great New Zealander, you know, the word mana gets floated around a, a fair bit, but when you really see it in someone, it, it really is an impressive thing. And, and, and he had that, um, you know, just a guy that, such a, a very principled man and a and 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 um, very intelligent man, but a, a guy who understood understood boys and men and um, and um, you know saw potential um, in, in them and, and really tried to reveal that potential and. and yeah, I mean, I think he was a, a special, special man. As, as a manager, you know, he really helped a, a group of very talented, but, you know, maybe, I don't know, not disciplined group of uh, individuals when he was manager of at New Zealand cricket. In what, in what ways did he help? Well, I mean, I think, I think at that time he walked into an environment where really we were, we were considered by much in the media and, and many of the, you know, many, many within the cricket fraternity as a bunch of sort of, uh, renegade no hopers really you know we were a bit of a um, uh, you know we'd been through a number of coaches we had you know, a number of discipline issues off the field and um, and so he walked into that and and rather than than come in in a hostile way you know I think he came in with a lot of understanding he came in and he um, he, he clearly um, had um, systems and rules by which he wanted us to live by but he understood um, how, how young guys operate you know and I think um, more than anything, we respected the way he approached it, but also we didn't want to let him down. And then, you know, we he gave showed so much faith in us and in our potential that, um, you know, in the end, what, it was it was a case of not wanting to let him down rather than you know him, him uh, applying rules or or anything like that. And um, and I think to come in and, and do that is a, is an incredible job. And and you know, we all respected him for it. And, and probably you know to to this day, we you know we all. Sort of love and honour him for it, really, because it, without it, we didn't, we would never have achieved anything as a group. DJ was had that special thing to make you, make everybody he came across and feel that they were the special one. And I think, um, you know, that that skill of making you know young young men in particular feel like they had um, you know talent and that they could um, uh, you know rise above what they were currently doing and and perform greater and have you know do greater feats. I think. He made each and every one of us feel like we were his special sort of project and I think 
obviously, you know, many, many, he made, made many, many people feel that way. So that, that's a huge skill. But uh, I think it's also just sort of speaks volumes about how many people he, he helped. That's all from us this week. Make sure you check out the sports page on rnz.co.nz and follow us on Twitter. Have a good weekend. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.